Well, good morning, Four Oaks. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, lead pastor. He is away for the weekend, and so it's my privilege to go open God's Word with you this morning. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 4. If you want to turn with me uh, as we're making our journey through the book of Matthew. And as you're turning there, I thought I would open up with a story. Uh, there was a man by the name of Shah Abbas. He was a Persian monarch who, who loved his people really well. And one of the things that he would do to kind of know and understand them better is he would mingle with his subjects in various disguises. And so one day he went as a poor man to the public baths and uh, actually in a tiny cellar uh, next to the baths, he sat next to a fireman who tended the furnace. And it was mealtime. He would share his meal with him and he would talk to this lonely subject as a friend. And he actually visited time and again. And the man grew to love this monarch really well. Uh, well, one day the Shah decided to reveal his true identity as the Persian monarch. And he expected this fireman to ask him for a gift or a favor or something like that. But the fireman simply just sat gazing at his king with love and wonder. And at last he spoke these words. He said, you left your palace and your glory to sit with me in this dark place, to eat of my coarse food, to care whether my heart is glad or sorry. On others, you may bestow rich presents, but to me, you have given yourself and it only remains for me to pray that you never withdraw the gift of your friendship. I think that story kind of illustrates uh, what we're walking through in the book of Matthew. Um, that Jesus, in essence, left his palace. He left his glory and he came to this dark, sinful world to serve mankind. And we've already begun to see Jesus introduced as the king, as we looked in chapter one at his lineage, that he was promised as the, the king to David. There would be this king who would rule forever. Um, and in chapter two, we see him worshiped as the king by wise men and by shepherds alike. Um, chapter three, we see him announced as the king by John the Baptist, and he's baptized. Um, and the father declares over Jesus, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, son of a public area. Um, and then we saw him being tempted by uh, the enemy in the wilderness, and he passes the test as the perfect king. And then last but not least, we saw Jesus begin to invite his disciples, um, common fishermen, to be his ambassadors for the kingdom, to, a, to, to partner with Jesus in seeing kingdom, the kingdom of God come on earth the way that it is in heaven. But um, as we are walking through the book of Matthew and we hear this word king or kingdom, it's not typically the way we think of kings and kingdoms. So we might think of the United Kingdom, right, with Queen Elizabeth or now King Charles. It might be sort of a political thing that we think about or a geographical sort of kingdom or maybe an ethnic or a physical kingdom. But right here, as we're walking through the gospel of Matthew, we're seeing or being introduced to Jesus as establishing a kingdom um, that is primarily spiritual. This is the way uh, George Ladd, who wrote much on the kingdom of God, he says it. He says, the kingdom of God is his kingship, his rule, his authority. It is not a realm or a people, but God's reign. In other words, when people are hearing and seeing Jesus, they are to identify with him as king, primarily through a relationship with the king. Um, another author puts it this way, the kingdom of God is life with God under the rule of God. 
And so we're, we're going to be invited this morning. Remember Jesus said, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so now we're going to begin to see what this really looks like for Jesus to inaugurate his kingdom, for him to establish his kingdom as the king of kings and lord of lords. And so we're going to look at these last three verses in chapter 4 um, to see Jesus begin to, to establish his kingdom here on earth. So uh, stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to look at these verses 23 through 25 together. And he, meaning Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great uh, crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Why don't you join with me in prayer? Jesus, we come to you today as the king. And we invite you this morning to begin your rule and your reign, not out there, but, but right in here, in our hearts. Would you establish your kingdom more and more in our lives. And out of that experience of you as king, would we then seek to be ambassadors for your kingdom wherever we go? We pray, we join with you in the Lord's Prayer where you say, pray that your kingdom would come on earth the way that it is in heaven. That's what we long for. And we pray that it would begin right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys take your seats. And as you do, uh, today's sermon is simply entitled, your kingdom come. And we're going to see how Jesus is establishing his kingdom in word and in deed. And so we're going to kind of use those two, two aspects of Jesus establishing his kingdom into three points. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus as king of the word, and then Jesus as king of the works. And then last but not least, Jesus as king of the world. So first, Jesus as king of the word. So verse 23, um, we're told that Jesus goes throughout all Galilee. By the way, that word went is sort of a, a moving with purpose. Um, it's, it's Jesus seeking after and seeking out people to announce his kingdom to. And in particular, it says that he goes throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So there's this teaching and proclaiming or teaching and preaching. In other words, Jesus seeks to bring his kingdom through his word. And he does it in two ways, teaching and proclaiming. So first, let's talk about teaching. Um, that Greek word is didasko, where we get the word didactic from. It's more of an instruction sort of a term. Um, it concentrates more on the passing on of information. So it has to do primarily with the content of the message. And this is what Jesus would often do. It says that he would, he would go to the synagogues and he would open up God's word and he would explain the passage of scripture um, what it means and how to apply it to your life. In fact, we're going to see this beginning next week when we look for probably the next several months on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus would say things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, let me explain it to you more fully, what God's word has to say um, to you and to me. And this is what we do on Sunday mornings. We open up God's word and we say, God, speak to us. Help us to understand what you would have us uh, to know and to do this morning. And in particular, Jesus, it says that he would go to the synagogues. Um, you guys may not be familiar with that term, but the Jewish synagogue arose during the Babylonian captivity when the 
Israelites were taken exile into Babylon. And since they were far removed from the temple in Jerusalem, um, they started gathering together as devout Jews to spend time of worship, um, spend time in community, and spend time uh, under, trying to understand God's word better. And so this synagogue was sort of a place for all the Jews to congregate um, and to worship God. So again, what we do on Sunday morning here. Um, but when the Jews returned to Israel, uh, and of course they, they kind of returned to all different, all different geographic locations in Israel, they couldn't all make their way to Jerusalem every Sunday. And so they would establish these synagogues in the villages and the towns wherever they lived. And, uh, and Jesus took advantage of this opportunity because what they would do is they would open up a scroll and then they would have a teacher teach from the scroll. And so Jesus, when he would show up in one of these synagogues, he would take advantage of that. And he would, he would be the traveling rabbi, the traveling teacher. And in particular, he wanted to reach the hearts of the Israelites. These are the people who are hungry for God's word. And so Jesus said, what better place to start than right here in the synagogue? I want to teach people to understand the scriptures, to apply it to their lives, and to help them to see that I am the one to whom they point. And to kind of, to give you an idea of what this looked like, we're going to turn over to Luke chapter 4. You don't have to turn there if you want to just read on the screen. Um, We're going to see what Jesus does when he arrives in Nazareth, which is his hometown. It says this, it says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here, or excuse me, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? So Jesus here, he opens up one of the scrolls it's of the prophet Isaiah. He explains the passage of scripture And then he begins to speak with authority. He has authority over God's word. And they say, this is, this, is this not the carpenter's son? But then as we see elsewhere in scripture, they say, we've never heard anyone teach with authority like this before. How is it that it's, it's like, it's like he understands God's word perfectly. He can explain it so well and with wisdom. That's Jesus. He's teaching God's word, and he's beginning to help us to see that these scriptures are fulfilled in him. He fills them up, meaning he fills them up with their meaning, and then he fills them up in the sense that he obeys them perfectly. He teaches in the synagogues. But not only that, um, he also goes proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This is a different word, Kate Russo. Uh, it means to proclaim. Uh, it also can be translated, he heralded out or he cried out. It doesn't have to do as much with the content of the message, more in the style of the communication. Uh, in essence, Jesus is crying out. It's an impassioned cry from Jesus for his hearers to take action. So in other words, it's not just like absorbing information, but now it's, I want you to take what you're hearing and put it into practice in your life. Remember Jesus when he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, now repent. 
In other words, reorient your life around me as the king. Reset your, your affections upon me as the king. In other words, I am the king that you are to be following, the king that you are to be trusting in, the king that you are to be obeying. And we notice in this proclaiming aspect that it's not just in the synagogues, it's everywhere. Wherever Jesus went, it doesn't matter whether you were hungry for God's word or you were just in the highways and the byways, wherever he met a person, he would say, repent, turn, trust in me. I am the king. Come, spend time with me. Find your life in me. He would proclaim this gospel of the kingdom. Gospel just means good news. And the kingdom is the sense of saying, there is a kingdom that's not of this world. There's a spiritual kingdom that begins in your heart and your soul. Do you need forgiveness of sin? Trust in me. Do you need a new way of life, a new way of, of living life? Come follow after me. Are you broken and you need to be made whole? Find your wholeness. Find your rest in me. It's good news of the kingdom. I think of um, Luke chapter 24, where right after Jesus rose from the dead, he's walking along with these two disciples on the way to Emmaus, and they're trying to figure things out. They're trying to understand what this all means when, when they heard this person not only died for their sins, but also he rose from the dead. And then Jesus, of course, appears. They don't know who it is. And he begins to explain all of the scriptures to them. And then he disappears and the disciples say, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke these words? Let me ask you a question. What role does God's word have in your life this morning? You know, there's all sorts of voices, all sorts of messages that the world is, is proclaiming to you and to me. But are we letting God's voice be that primary voice that we're listening to? When you come here on Sunday morning, are you coming here with a sense of anticipation, a longing for God to speak to you, for God to meet you? When you go throughout your week, do you open up your Bible and not just read to check it off the list? Oh, yeah, I read my Bible today. But no, are you actually coming, slowing down and say, God, Speak to my soul. Change me from the inside out. Help me to commune with you, to relate to you. Are you listening to God this morning? I think of uh, Jesus when he's speaking these hard words to the crowds, and all of a sudden the crowds start to depart in John chapter 6, because they're like, man, it's really hard to follow this king. And then Jesus asks his disciples, he said, will you go away too? And Peter says, where else would I go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. Is that your heart's desire this morning as you're coming? You know, one of the things that I long for, it's a, it's a sobering responsibility to open up God's word. Um, it's a high responsibility. And one of the things that I long for is that I'm not just teaching the word to you, but I'm also being taught. Um, and I think of Ezra 7.10. It's my favorite verse as it explains what, um, what Ezra did and I think what all teachers are to do. It says in Ezra 7.10, it says, he, he set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. In other words, Ezra would open up God's word and he would set his heart. He would say, God, speak 
to my heart. Help me to understand your word and then help me to do it. And then after I've experienced this life-giving power of your word in my own life, then help me to offer it to your people. And guys, I am a, I'm, a, I'm a sinful man. I need God's word every day. When I was meditating on Psalm 146 this morning, and I was just saying, God, would you, would you help me to reorient my heart around you and your kingdom? Because I'm so tempted to, to go after the kingdoms of this world. Would you help me to reset my gaze on Jesus as my king, as the one who, who gave his life for me, on the one who, who now is living within me to be a part of his kingdom and to be an ambassador for his king. Guys, I want to be that way, and I long for you to be that way too. I think of Jesus when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, right? But, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. May that be our longing this morning. Let's together prioritize God's word. Spend time with him. Let him be the primary voice heralding the good news to our souls. That's not enough. Jesus not only displays his authority as king through his good words, but also through his good works. We're going to look at second, the king of the works. Verse 23, it continues on. It says, after he teaches and he proclaims, it also says that he went about healing every disease and every affliction among the people. It goes on, it says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Um, the apostle Matthew, he, he's using this word all or every over and over again in this passage of scripture to communicate that Jesus has authority in every single way. You know, we have some amazing um, doctors and pharmacists and nurses and health practitioners and dentists. Um, in fact, that's the number, remember that survey that we did back in the fall, kind of, you gave an opportunity to mark out your vocation. Well, that's the number two vocation in our church is those who are involved in the healthcare field. And so many of you are just amazing in how you care for people and their bodies. But as we know, because God designed the human body with so much complexity, um, it's necessary for physicians to specialize and to study in specific fields. They don't know everything about the human body. It's impossible to know everything. My, my brother, he's a, he's a physician overseas, and uh, he's, he's like, I'm just scratching the surface to understanding the complexity of the human body. But not so with Jesus. Every person that was brought to Jesus, it says he healed. And, he, and Matthew mentions all types of disease. He says every disease, every affliction, various diseases, pains, oppression, epilepsy, paralysis, paralysis, like just everything. It doesn't matter whether it was physical or mental or spiritual in nature. Whatever the problem was, they would bring those needs to Jesus and Jesus would heal. There was not a problem that he could not solve. In fact, Matthew Henry says this. It says, he says, he healed every sickness or disease. None was too bad, none too hard for Christ to heal with a word. Three diseases are named, the palsy, which is the greatest weakness of the body, lunacy, which is the greatest malady of the mind, and possession of the devil, which is the greatest misery and calamity of both, yet Christ healed all. Jesus doesn't just care for our souls, 
He also cares for our bodies. And if you think back to the Garden of Eden, when sin entered into the world and there was this curse of the fall, sin wreaked havoc on every single aspect of life. Not just a broken relationship with God, not just broken relationship between Adam and Eve, but there was also a brokenness of the world and a brokenness of our bodies. In essence, the kingdom of heaven was torn from the kingdom of the earth. And Jesus says, I am coming to make all things whole. Again, I'm coming to bring about this word shalom. Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs and joyful wonder in which the people of God are welcomed back into relationship with God as their king. And he concludes this quote by Cornelius Platting, and he concludes by saying this. He says, shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. In essence, Jesus is pushing back against the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of his light and his love. He's conquering the enemies of Satan, sin, and death with his great works of ministry. These miracles, in essence, are a sign that the kingdom of heaven has come, that the king has come. B.B. Warfield says it this way. He says, when our Lord came down to earth, he drew heaven with him. The signs which accompanied his ministry were but the trailing clouds of glory, which he brought from heaven, which is his home. The number of the miracles which he wrought may easily be underrated. It has been said that in effect, he banished disease and death from Palestine for the three years of his ministry. As he said in Luke 4 that we read earlier, he is fulfilling this good news of the kingdom. When it says that he proclaimed good news to the poor, he's not just talking about spiritual poverty. Also, certainly that is, there's physical poverty that he's beginning to restore where people are made rich in the kingdom of God. He recovers sight to the blind, not just spiritual blindness, but physical blindness as well. When he proclaims liberty to the captives and freedom to the oppressed, it's not just spiritual, but it's also physical as well. We see that Jesus cares for the whole person, body and soul. And that should give us hope. That Jesus doesn't just care for our, phys- our spiritual needs, but he cares for our physical ones as well. Jesus instructed us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He said, I want you to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. That should be a comfort to us that Jesus cares for our physical needs. Now, obviously, um, we don't see the, the number of miracles today that we did when Jesus came. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for healing. We shouldn't pray for restoration of our bodies that we shouldn't pray boldly and specifically for God to bring about healing within our body and soul. Guys, right here in the front row, Charles Wilson is right here. A year ago at this time, Jan called and said, would you please come? He's been given less than a week to live. He can't take medication anymore, won't help him. The doctors have absolutely no idea what to do. He's not eaten for a really long time. He's gotten super skinny. Bring communion. Let it be his last communion before he sees Jesus face to face. Sorry, Charles, but you're still here. That's right. 
I love seeing Charles and Jan holding up their hands, praising Jesus, the king who brings life to dead bones. And now they're walking alongside of other people in grief share, helping them when they experience loss of loved ones, encouraging them and helping them and strengthening them in their faith. Just because they, Charles has been healed with his body there, they've also experienced loss too. I don't know why um, Jesus doesn't heal everyone all the time, but I do know that he does. And we should pray boldly for it. We should ask for shalom to come on earth the way that it is in heaven. Craig Keener, he explains it this way. He says, many conservative Christians rightly stress personal conversion, but wrongly ignore the desperate physical needs around them, both for miracles and for social intervention. Many other churches rightly address societal injustices but neglect spiritual needs and personal human pain. But Jesus cared about people in their totality. He was concerned for their most pressing needs, both body and soul. His example summons us to a more well-rounded ministry that preaches the gospel through evangelism and discipleship and demonstrates the gospel through ministries of compassion, justice, and spirit-empowered healing. I think of the the men who were carrying the, the lame man, right? And they, they cut the, the hole in the roof and they lowered down their friend who was paralyzed. And Jesus healed that man. They were so committed to seeing this man experience the, the love and the life of Jesus. And as we know, though, Jesus didn't just heal him of his bodily issues. He says, your sins are forgiven. It's a wholehearted, a whole-bodied experience of shalom that we are to pray for. So last but not least, we are not only to receive Jesus' good words and good works, but we also are to share them with others. We're to be like those friends of the lame man. This brings us in, last but not least, the king of the world. Matthew describes the geographical spread of Jesus' fame, and he starts out by saying that he went throughout all Galilee. Um, That word all uh, in the Greek means all. There you go. There's my my Greek specialty for you this morning. I'm such an expert. Uh, No, it's a comprehensive term here. It just means that wherever Jesus went throughout Galilee, he was bringing and ushering in the kingdom of God. And uh, that word Galilee actually composed about 200 villages. It was, a, it was a square footage roughly 40 miles wide and 70 miles long. And the historian Josephus, he said, the cities are numerous. The multitude of villages everywhere are crowded with men owing to the fertility of the soil. So that the smallest of the villages contains above 15,000 inhabitants. So if you kind of add that up, That means there were upwards of 3 million people. And everywhere that Jesus would go throughout Galilee, he would declare the kingdom of God and he would demonstrate the kingdom of God. But not only did Jesus travel to the people, but the people traveled to him. That's why it says that this kingdom began to spread throughout all Syria. Syria was a a territory north of Galilee. And the people who were up in Syria started hearing about Jesus and they would come down. Um, Later on in verse 24, it says, the great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis. That that word Decapolis means 10 cities. And it was um, more in the northeastern part of Galilee. 
And by the way, both in Syria and in this part of Galilee, the Decapolis, there weren't just Jews that were there. There were also Gentiles that were there. So Jesus is the king of the world, not just of Jews, but of Gentiles as well. It goes on and it says that they followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea. That's down in the south. And then from beyond the Jordan, that's east of the Jordan. So it didn't matter where you were. What would happen is as people were experiencing the life-giving power, the authority of Jesus as king of the word and king of the works, as they were experiencing this, then they would bring other people to Jesus. This is the call still for us as the church today, that when we experience Jesus, we know that he is the king of kings and lord of lords in our hearts. We're then to share that with other people. You need forgiveness of sin? Let me introduce you to the Savior, the one who died for your sin. You need to be healed from your shame? Let me tell you about the one who bore your shame on the cross. So that doesn't have to be the message over you. The message of love can be over you. You need to be freed from your hurts or from your addictions or from your broken relationships. Let me, let me bring you to Jesus. He's done this for me, and I, and I want him to do this for you as well. It didn't matter what the problem was. Every person was bringing their friend to Jesus. So the kingdom of God flourishes when the content of the gospel collides with the compassion of the gospel. When these two things come together, that's where the kingdom of God is experienced. And not only are we to bring people to Jesus through our good words and our good works, but also through our prayers. I know you have friends, you have loved ones who you long to know Jesus. You can bring them to Jesus through your prayers of interceding for them. Bring them to the throne of Jesus saying, Jesus, will you heal my friend? Will you rescue them out of darkness and bring them into your marvelous light? You can intercede for your friends and bring them to Jesus. This is why we should be concerned about every aspect where sin finds itself experienced in the kingdom of darkness. The needs of our city, the the needs of the unborn, the abused, the elderly, racism, poverty, sickness, all of the malignancies that are a result of the illness of sin and the curse of Sin, we're to bring the gospel to bear in those places to say, God, would you, would you reign in this place? Would you reign in this person's life? The gospel of the kingdom is established where we bring people to meet their king. And sometimes we lead out with good words. Other times we lead out with good works. But these good words and these good works are all to be working together just like Jesus did to, to, seek, to, to seek his kingdom on earth the way that it is in heaven. I think back of Luke chapter four again. Remember, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is, a, is upon me to bring good news to the poor. And Jesus, what does he say in Matthew 28? He says, I'm gonna leave and I'm commissioning to you that I'm with you wherever you go. I'm gonna live in you through my spirit so that the spirit of the Lord might be upon you as well to bring good news to the poor. And I just love the fact that We have people here at Four Oaks who are part of our benevolence team. And when they hear of a financial need, they they say, I want to help meet that need. We've got so many generous people. When they hear of a financial need, they they want to help meet that need. Doesn't always have to go through the benevolence team. They just hear about a need and they, how can I help? How can I give to help meet that need? Um, 
Jesus says, I've come to bring sight to the blind. And I think of so many of you who care for people who have physical ailments. Um, You have welcomed children into your home who have special needs. So many of you I mentioned earlier who have have a passion for health care and you want to bring physical healing to people who are hurting. Um, Jesus said, I came to bring liberty to the captives. And I think of some of you who have a passion for prison ministry. You spend Friday nights talking to men who are imprisoned to say, Even though you're held by physical bars doesn't mean you have to be held by spiritual bars. Let me proclaim liberty to you. We had a man who was here first service who has been ministered to in the prison. He's come to faith in Christ and now he's out of the prison and he's here. Freedom to the oppressed. There are some of you who have a passion for those who have addictions and you help those who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. The list goes on and on, but it doesn't have to be um, a particular category of people. Everywhere you live out your faith is an act of the kingdom of God coming on earth the way that it is in heaven. So every time you submit to the king, every time you choose to follow after the king rather than your own flesh or, or the, the desires of the world, You are bringing God's kingdom on earth the way that it is in heaven. That means that every person that you speak with, every word that you share, every deed that you live out, everything that you do has significant worth and value. It has eternity and value. And if you'll notice in these words and in these works, there's a particular purpose. And it's not just to bring blessing and benefit to those around you. There's an even greater purpose. It's to bring about the fame of Jesus. If you see where Jesus is establishing his kingdom, people are hearing about Jesus. They're not hearing about the person who's been healed as much as they're hearing about the healer. When someone's been convicted in their soul, and they hear the teaching of Jesus, they want to, I want you to meet Jesus who teaches you, who instructs you, who helps you. The aim is to see Jesus lifted up as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, um, I highly committed to you. In fact, it's, it's one of the resources out in the lobby. He says this, he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. We've been given a great mission to see the king announced, to see the kingdom of God come on earth the way that it is in heaven. But ultimately, that mission will one day be fulfilled, but worship will always be going on. And the worship of God should be the fuel of God that moves us on the mission of God. As we see and experience more of Jesus in our life, it can't help but then fuel us to take the gospel of the kingdom to the world. Whether it's across the street, in your vocation, in your school, in your family, or it's literally across the world. That's why we have missionaries who go into dark places with the light of the kingdom. And one of our missionary couples is moving to a city where there are zero believers in 250,000 people. They're bringing the gospel of the kingdom. 
in word and in deed. And in one sense, they tell me, like, Scott, I'm not doing anything special. And of course, on the other hand, I'm like, well, you know, you're learning a new language. You're going in a very dark place. But what they're trying to say is we're just being intentional with our lives. We're just telling people about Jesus. And we're seeking to live out our faith wherever we find ourselves. So there are doctors who are serving in foreign countries there's someone who's establishing a rug business in a foreign country. There's, there's a teacher in a foreign country. There's a family that we're gonna, they're gonna launch a jujitsu gym in a foreign country. What's the purpose of all these things? It's so they can build relationships, find favor in the community, and seek to tell people about the king. And we're called to do the same. What about you? How are you being intentional with your life? Who, who, who might you be more intentional with this week? Who can you tell about Jesus? How might you demonstrate his kingdom through good words and good works? Who's God laying on your heart that you can intercede for more intentionally? Bring them to the throne of God. How can you seek for God's kingdom to come on earth the way that it is in heaven? As you're thinking about those things, I thought I would close with a story that I just found so encouraging. And there's a woman in our church, and uh, she's fallen on hard times, and she actually needed to be moved out um, from a precarious environment that she was in into a, 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 an apartment. Uh, she has two boys, and uh, she, she loves them a whole lot and kind of bring them, out of, uh, bring them into safety. She brought them into this apartment um, but she didn't have anything. And so we kind of sent out the call for the body of Christ to provide. And all of you provided furnishings so that her apartment could be fully furnished for her and for her boys. Uh, several of you vo uh, volunteered to help move things into her home last weekend and on Tuesday. And uh, several of you, even after first service, like, what else can we do? Love that. And so I called to check on her on a Tuesday night to see how she was settling into her new place. And she just said, Pastor Scott, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for how he loves me and how he loves my boys. The other thing about the boy, her boys is that they both have particular needs. Uh, one of her sons is what they would be considered nonverbal. So he can't really talk. He can maybe put a a word or two together, but that's really about it. He's cared for every Sunday morning in the special needs room. Just loved on. Well, as this mom is sharing about what's going on, uh, she's driving with her boys on Tuesday, and uh, she tells me about this that night. She said, Pastor Scott, but the best thing of all was I'm telling my boys about how much God loves them, how much Jesus has done for them. And then her son that can't speak says, Jesus. What? Yes, that's right. Jesus, yes, Jesus. Jesus cares for you. Jesus is with us. He, he, he does, oh, yes, Jesus. And then he continues on with this sentence. And he says, Jesus loves me. And by this point, the mom is just crying and pulling over the side of the road. <laughs> yes, that's right. Jesus loves you. And so I said, can I share this story on Sunday? 
She said, yes, I want that story to be told, that God's kingdom is coming on earth the way that it is in heaven, that Jesus loves his people, that Jesus cares for his people. Both his good words and his good deeds are displayed through his people to display the fact that his kingdom is coming on earth the way that it is in heaven. And we should, with anticipation, be praying. We should be with anticipation serving. We should be with anticipation speaking. Our king is coming. And one day, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. One day, he will bring about shalom perfectly. But until that day draws near, let us continue to say, Jesus, let your kingdom come on earth, waves, and heaven. Let's welcome you more and more, Jesus, as we display your good works and good deeds to those around us. May we display that Jesus loves us and Jesus loves the world. Amen? Last thing I want to mention to you is a pair of hearts for the Lord's Supper is this. There's only one king who would lay down his life for his subjects, who are not just any kind of subjects. You and I both know that we are rebellious subjects. We have rebelled against God's kingdom. That's where we found ourselves in darkness, doing what we wanted to do, living for the kingdom of self and the kingdom of the world rather than the kingdom of God. And that deserves punishment from the king. Because God loves us, as I referred earlier to Philippians 2, um, he sent his son to take the form of a servant, and not just to take the form of a servant, but to die to serve his people. And so every time we take the Lord's Supper, this is a reminder to us of how much our king loves us and how much he is inviting us to follow him in the same way wherever he calls I'm going to invite you now just to kind of close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm going to pray a short prayer. And as I do that, I'm going to invite our leaders to come to prepare the Lord's Supper.